Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Anjit Mazzetti and in each edition we'll be learning from leading women about how they made it to the top of their field of expertise. We'll be exploring the challenges they've met along the way and hearing what advice they have to offer to others to improve the numbers of women at senior and middle management levels in all sorts of organisations. First up today is Joan Burton, Thánaiste and leader of the Irish Labour Party and current Minister for Social Protection. This interview was recorded as part of the Leading Women radio documentary funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and aired on News Talk FM in August. Joan Burton has many interesting things to say and we couldn't squeeze them all into the radio documentary, so this is the longer version. In it, she talks about the need for the Doyle to be a more welcoming place for women, about the need for women not to be afraid of failure and about the necessity of diversity around the cabinet table. Gender and diversity, is it an important issue to you? I think it's a critical issue, uh, not just to women, but to men and uh, to children. As uh, they say in Africa, women hold up half the sky. And uh, I often say to people here, if we looked at the Doyle and we saw that there were only 16% of men in the Doyle or indeed in the local council, Uh, there might be a much more intense national conversation as to why are we missing all this talent and creativity and work from men. And I often like to just put that question in reverse. Can we afford not to have more women involved? Can we afford not to have gender diversity? And I kind of go with uh, the comments made at uh, different stages by um, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton Uh, around not being a bean counter. In other words, you don't really want to go into every situation and you're saying how many women because there are so few. Instead, you're going into a meeting, uh, you're going into a debate, you're going into a lecture and there's just a good blend of women and men. They're both there and they both bring their different histories and skills and creativity uh, to the table and that's just very stronger for society as a whole. I was talking to Danuta Gray and she was saying if she's asked to go on a board that she's less reluctant, she's more reluctant to go on a board if there's only one woman, that there needs to be sort of a critical mass and I think you brought that up as well, that if you're just the token woman it doesn't really work, you need to have critical mass. Do you believe that? I think in politics uh, if you go into a situation where you're very much a minority uh, you would know that you always need a seconder, so that would mean at least two Uh, But it's much nicer to have, uh, say, at least 30, 40 percent. So you have a critical mass and in having a critical mass, uh, you can shape the debate because uh, one of the challenge for women in politics is the stereotype, uh, which, you know, in a way, to some extent, other women can be quite judgmental. And it's a confidence thing, but you're into the too fat, too tall, too thin, too small, too this, too that. Uh, Now, my colleague Kathleen Lynch has said she's never yet had the opportunity of voting for a perfect man. Uh, It seems when men go for election, if you're an ordinary guy and you're rated 
Well, that would be one of the reasons for voting for you. So Kathleen was saying she's looking forward to voting for ordinary women, uh, as opposed to extraordinary and uh, people, if you like, who are exemplary. And it's the cult of one, the one woman, the only woman. Obviously, the woman who achieves the first, the only, the uh, single woman. Of course, that's a great achievement and women understandably welcome it. But that's a stepping stone position to greater diversity and participation of women overall. And to be honest, if you are involved in something like politics, it does actually make it more fun, uh, more rewarding and uh, much better around discussing, for instance, policies and goals that I think are central to both men and women, such as issues that concern families, health, education, indeed my own portfolio in terms of social welfare and caring. And um, just you want both people, you want both kinds of people there. I was at a Dunleary Rathdown Chamber of Commerce get together of women recently and one of the things that came up was childcare. Why is it still an issue and what can we do to improve the situation for women, well for both women and men with regard to childcare? I think first of all uh, it has been bracketed uh, particularly years ago as a woman's issue. I mean, I remember when I was first elected to the Doyle in 1992 and uh, there were quite a number, first big group of women were elected that year, following in the wake of Mary Robinson becoming the first woman president of Ireland. She really set a trend which, let's say, made uh, becoming elected uh, a much more welcoming house for women of all parties and none. But I was constantly amazed in that Doyle as we really put those kind of issues on the agenda, work, quality of life, work-life balance, childcare, family care, caring for more elderly parents and so on. And so many men came up and said, gosh, you know, I've been here 15, 20 years. In those days, TDs generally served a lot longer. And I miss things like Holy Communions, confirmations, graduations, family occasions, all for politics. And now I see that that people coming in now, women in particular, are saying, yes, we want to be politicians, but we want to see our families as well, and we want to be particularly part of our children's lives. People saying, but that's great for men too. And you see that with the um, younger TDs in this soil. Uh, Quite a lot of them would be young parents. And I like to think that they are quite conscious about childcare issues. Nonetheless, I serve in a government uh, where I'm very uh, privileged and honoured to be um, a senior minister as Minister for Social Protection alongside uh, my colleague uh, Francis Fitzgerald. We also have a very fine Attorney General, incredibly hard-working Attorney General uh, in Maura Whelan the first ever woman to hold that position and then my colleague uh, Jan O'Sullivan and you sort of say to yourself this is a room of 18 office holders or so so uh, we're certainly not crowding it out and uh, I, I just think it is important to just have an equality. I'd be as worried if there were only four men in the cabinet out of 18 because, you know, people just bring different life experiences. And that's very important because 
you know, there's a technical side to political issues that, of course, is hugely important, and that's expressed in legislation. Uh, and that's a really um, technical side of government that ultimately impacts enormously on the lives of people and of businesses. But there's also a human side. Uh, and really, you, you then need a pretty full range of human background and experience to have a cabinet that's working not just for the Irish economy, but for Ireland as a society. And uh, I'd certainly love to see more women there. Well, women are obviously not opting into uh, political life in the numbers that we would like. And I know you're changing the, the gender quotas. But what can you do to encourage more women to get it? I mean, does the all need to become less ladsy, even in the, in the chamber? Does it need to be more accommodating to women? Do we just need to work on women's confidence and maybe take them out of the silo mentality, as it's been called? You probably need to do a combination of all of those things. The Doyle is based on the British parliamentary system, so it is uh, very much uh, set in the, uh, or owes its origins to the kind of 18th and 19th century, men's clubs, great orators, and then booing and baying and shouting approval or disapproval. And obviously, people who see the uh, Prime Minister's questions in the British House of, Law, uh, House, House of Commons will still see that. Uh, we've inherited some of that, uh, and uh, certainly standing up in the context of a very, um, let's say, intense focus when I was in uh, opposition from the then government parties, the Green Party and the um, Fianna Fáil Party, uh, particularly when I was contesting the bank guarantee that it was the wrong policy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just need to be very robust. And I was never involved in university debating or anything like that. And a lot of it nowadays, and certainly in Ireland, I think owes some of its style to college debates, uh, which still tend to be, uh, in a lot of cases, fairly male-dominated. But I think one of the things that perhaps will make changes is the fact that it's now all televised. That spectacle doesn't look great on television. I think it is one of the reasons that women can get turned off. Uh, I think a lot of women like to work collaboratively. I think a lot of women work to social and societal agendas. The uh, kind of the political is the personal, the personal is the political doesn't always uh, suit. I mean, some of the people who would say, for instance, come from an ultra-left standpoint, um, who are um, independents, not all of them, uh, even though they would have very right-on views, I think, again, uh, not every woman would identify with how some of those views are expressed. So whether you're talking about younger or older people in the door, left or right, yeah, it's a bit of a man's club. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you almost feel in the air, well, man up. Uh, well, I say woman up and uh, make it uh, more welcoming uh, for women. I think that's important. I think, for instance, in the European Parliament, where there's a lot more collaborative working and working through committees, you notice a significantly higher proportion of women. I mean, it, it's still tough but if you like, it may be socially in terms of the space, in terms of the chamber, working in the committees. Uh, I think it's probably more appealing to a lot of women. And it's interesting, we've had far more women in the European Parliament. Uh, but the Labour Party has been working on this now. 
really for the last 20 years and in particular I suppose our breakthrough was when we nominated uh, Mary Robinson to become the successful first woman pre- president of Ireland that just opened it, I think it just opened people's minds to the possibility that you ha- could have w- a woman w- women at very senior positions and other wo- women would be hugely supportive understanding no, it doesn't mean not critical as well uh, but just making it a much more welcome place for women. It doesn't really sit well with a lot of women even just to be thought of as being ambitious. What advice would you give to women who would like to make a difference at a political level? What would be three pieces of advice you'd give to them to get involved, to lean in, as Sheryl Sandberg would say? Yeah, I I, I was uh, reading uh, Sheryl Sandberg's book recently and I have to say, um, when I read the reviews, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't prioritising getting the book. Uh, but having read it, I think it's extremely impressive. And I think it's just an awful lot of solid advice. And uh, she was talking about her, um, her, her, her mentor, a uh, very well-known uh, uh, person in the United States, Larry Summers, uh, former president of Harvard and guru and head of the Council of Economic Advisors and so on for Bill Clinton. And uh, she recalls a story where his mother uh, went to work for one big American corporation. Um, I think she was an economist. She was certainly a professional woman. And uh, the um, guy who was recruiting her said, now I'll get the same brain power but for less money. I mean, this must have been in the 40s or 50s. And uh, how, you know, you pass down, I suppose, threads, uh, skills and so on. And I'd say to people, go for it. I would say lean in. Uh, I think the stereotypes, you know, my mum used to often say, what won't break you uh, will make you stronger. And uh, I think don't, maybe women could also suffer from a fear of failure. But uh, if you remember Scarlett O'Hara at the end of Gone with the Wind, tomorrow is another day. And I think you have to really try and uh, stay positive. I think some of the work that's done nowadays in terms of uh, discussing personal ambitions and goals, um, getting rid of the guilt trip, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. I mean, obviously it has to be proportionate to the rest of your life. Because at the end of the day, your family and your personal circumstances and your emotional circumstances are obviously critical to every human being. But there's, no, but I, I, I think we should uh, encourage people to be ambitious, also obviously to be realistic, to make a difference, to give back. Uh, I think that's very important. I mean, I came in as Minister, say, into Social Protection just around three years ago. And uh, while it was a bit of a shock uh, to get the job at the time, I have to say, um, being involved in helping individuals and communities to get back to work, uh, looking to protect, for instance, uh, pensions uh, from some of the ideas that the uh, people in the Troika had. I mean, it's all been intensely interesting and rewarding. And at the end of the day, it comes down to how it impacts on individuals and how it impacts on communities and families. 
that's where the reward really is in politics. That's when you see that you've been able to make some difference in an individual, or better still, in a community's life. Uh, in terms of it could be investment in a school, um, it could be simply somebody accessing a job, or somebody who's been a lone parent uh, going back to college and qualifying. Um, and then maybe a couple of years later, you meet the person uh, and really they're doing really well. Um, they're all the immensely rewarding side of politics. It's fashionable to be a little bit cynical or very cynical um, about politics. But if politics isn't about people, communities, families, it isn't really about anything. And obviously in Ireland, we've had a fairly, um, you know, gut-wrenching experience in relation to what happened to the economy, what happened to the banks, what happened to people losing their jobs and businesses closing down. So from time to time, you know, I go around social welfare offices and I talk to the staff and we have revamped the offices into a new service called Intrio and you meet people in uh, social protection in the Intrio offices who frankly never expected to spend morning, an afternoon or a day of their life anywhere near a social welfare office but circumstances went against them in terms of the crash and there they are and um, again uh, as a woman politician, uh, it's just, you know, it, it is just so interesting and rewarding to be involved in just helping people back to work. So I'd say to people, if you have that spark of interest in current affairs, in politics, in changing things for the better, go for it. Now, you weren't the only one who was surprised when you ended up in social protection instead of finance. I think every woman in the country was very disappointed that you didn't get finance at the time. But you were able but to... But lots of women say to me now, they're thrilled I got the job I got. Uh, because, uh, you know, being able to perhaps match uh, a little bit of financial experience and how to save money and spend money. I wish I could do it at home. Uh, this is kind of a general skill applied uh, to other situations rather than personal situations, to be frankly honest. Um, but p people have said, look, you know, it stood you in very good stead. And certainly in uh, the discussions with the people from the Troika, uh, you know, pointing out what it would cost somebody, uh, you know, working to go and take their children to the doctor. Um, I think those kind of uh, little bits of analysis had escaped the Troika's attention. But so you brought it to I was attention. in a position to point it out to them. Tell me about what's being done for pensions. I mean, we all know that women in particular are very poor with with regard to pensions, probably because they opt out of the workforce or family well, circumstances. What, what I've been working on um, is, uh, first of all, trying to protect the existing pension schemes where women are very underrepresented. Uh, less than 50% of women have uh, pension provision. So huge numbers of people in Ireland, men and women, are relying on the retirement pension from the Department of Social Protection. Uh, my, one of my big aims is to see that brought up by a supplementary pension that people would contribute to during their working life and uh, we would have, like they have in Australia, New Zealand and in the last year or two in Britain, uh, a supplementary 
uh, pension, which would be basically a saver, like a Celtic saver or a shamrock saver. Uh, you would put it in in your name, uh, it would be saved for you, plus um, the earnings from it. And then when you retire, uh, if, say, at the moment, the standard retirement pension is about 12,000, if you could have a supplementary pension at least to that amount again, you would have about 24,000 in current terms in a situation where the average industrial wage uh, is around uh, 34, 35,000. So it would bring you up in retirement quite a good level of income. Obviously, uh, if you could save even more, that would be even better. But certainly at the moment, a worrying number of people in Ireland are entirely dependent on the uh, uh, retirement pension, the state retirement pension. And frankly, for a lot of people, uh, that's not enough in terms of maintaining quality of lifestyle. And also people are now living a lot longer. Most women who reach retirement age at 66 uh, can confidently expect to live up to at least another 30 years, uh, which is a great achievement by society. But it means then as a society, we should be investing in pensions and obviously we should be investing in healthcare. Now, I read somewhere recently that uh, advice to women, I think it was on uh, International Women's Day, was that getting a husband is not a pension plan. (laughs) (laughs) Would you agree with that? And would you advise women to get pensions? Well, I mean, I'm a great fan of Jane Austen. And uh, all Jane Austen books are really about, uh, in many ways, how to fall in love. And generally, there's a wedding uh, close to the end of most of the books. Now, we never get to know what happened afterwards. um, But, you know, personal happiness, however you wish to express that in terms of relationships, I think it's high on most people's agenda. And uh, why not? Um, But, you know, looking in terms of lifetimes, as I said, most women can now expect to live on average to uh, into their 80s. And uh, that means there's plenty of room in life for lots of experiences in a long life like that. Um, So uh, I I don't think having happiness in personal relationships in any way cuts particularly across your capacity to be involved in politics. You do need your uh, partner, your spouse, whatever, to be understanding. Uh, but then that means you have to select carefully if you have politics in mind for, for, from, from um, the first point. Uh, and uh, secondly then, um, if you're personally happy, I think it allows you to bring perhaps more Um, So I would say to women, yes, look after, of course, your personal life. Try and get the work-life balance uh, somehow uh, that you have time for your family and for your friends uh, and particularly, obviously, for your children. And uh, I, I think you just women have so much to bring and they do make sacrifices to be involved in politics. But politics can also be both rewarding, as I was saying earlier, uh, and fun. You obviously get quite a buzz out of it, do you? I think it would be very hard to be involved in politics if really you didn't care for politics at all. Uh, And, you know, you put your name up on a poster and you invite it. Mind you, that is one of the most shocking things in political life experience is to be uh, driving or walking and suddenly come across uh, a four by eight uh, foot poster of yourself and you're going my makeup my hair my nose my eyes <laughs> that's truly shocking i think for everybody in politics 
the first uh, period of a new campaign, it's always a fresh shock. And uh, and then you just get into it and you do it. And if you can get a group of friends uh, and people who support you politically to join around with you, um, I think it's very, very interesting. And I, I, I do think you have to both accept it and it really helps if you like it. And I like people. Uh, I enjoy talking to people. And I've always been driven in politics by wanting to see, for instance, areas like education, uh, social affairs in society, the health services improved. I represent the um, uh, constituency of Dublin West, uh, which uh, ranges from the airport to Mulhuther to Castleknock, Blanchestown. So it's it's a great mix. But when I was a child, um, that constituency was five small villages with a huge agricultural hinterland. And uh, where I lived in Stony Batter, the cattle market uh, was just up the road. So it has changed enormously. Um, So in my particular constituency, it's all been about getting jobs to the area, seeing companies maybe like IBM and eBay and uh, PayPal come in, seeing the town centre. Uh, there were no shops in Blanchestown when I first ran, other than a very small number. Now there's a magnificent town centre, and women still open the door uh, when I'm calling and say, I love the town centre, I love having the facilities out here. So there's a lot of reward, whether you're in local politics or you're in national politics, in seeing things improve. And to be honest, politics is also about hope and expectation and, you know, working with communities to make things better. And before I let you go, uh, in doing some interviews, some of the things that have been said to women around boardroom tables and interviews have been quite shocking and I've been surprised at some of the things that have been said to me. Has Have you ever encountered uncomfortable situations or people said something that you're just like, where do they think of that? Why was that such an inappropriate thing to say? Has that ever happened to you? Well, I suppose Mario Rosenstock has told the country about my voice, uh, but uh, as I keep telling him, he's still working on it and uh, he doesn't quite uh, do my voice properly. I suppose the most public one that I would call was in the uh, last oil uh, when there were hot and heavy uh, debates about the economy and about the bank collapse and uh, tax breaks that were fueling an unsustainable construction uh, boom. Uh, Brian Cowan got exasperated one day and uh, advised Eamon Gilmore or asked Eamon Gilmore, can you not rein her in? And uh, that was a certain tone. I don't think he meant personally towards me, um, but it just indicated that sometimes, you know, women just kind of get under the skin and uh, obviously politics can be a high-pressure business. Um, that's the uh, clearest one. Uh, but otherwise, I have to say, I, I just keep uh, working through. And if people have issues with me, they're their issues. I like to feel um, that I concentrate on the core things, uh, obviously in social protection. 
you know, uh, the money has been very tight in recent years. So again, uh, some people would be very critical of that. Uh, also, I make no apologies. I'm uh, from a very working class background and uh, people who uh, don't inherit uh, wealth or don't have parents to uh, cushion, you know, their, pa- their early passage through life, you have to find a job. So I make no apologies to turning the uh, social protection system into being pro-job. I mean, I'm in the Labour Party because Labour represents work. And uh, that's sometimes difficult for some people to understand. Uh, In fact, you know, some of the people on the left, um, it almost feels at times like they really want social welfare for very young people in their 20s and 30s where, uh, yes, social welfare should be there as a cushion to support you when things are difficult or you lose your job. But I always say it's also like a trampoline that will lift you up. And uh, so sometimes people are a bit critical uh, because they just don't understand, uh, maybe because they never had to worry about getting a job. But for a lot of, uh, you know, individuals who haven't come from very well-off backgrounds, uh, getting a job and becoming financially independent and uh, being, um, if you like, becoming um, uh, just uh, involved in a project, involved in work, it's really important to people. And uh, I reflect that from my own background. Uh, so sometimes I take a bit of stick for that. Last question, really is the last question this time. Um, the uh, men in, in your life, uh, have there been huge influences in maybe a party leader or a dad or a brother or a husband or, you know, have there been key men in your life who've influenced you positively? Uh, well, uh, I'm uh, married uh, to Pat Carroll, who uh, is uh, tremendously interested in and knowledgeable about politics. Um, he, uh, Pat has been just a tremendous uh, support and uh, partner to me. And, uh, you know, I don't think I could have done what I've done without him. Uh, When he was a student, he was director of elections uh, for Dr. Noel Brown. And uh, through Pat, I met Noel Brown. And I would say in terms of political influences, he was a very strong influence in the sense that uh, he was ambitious uh, for people who were less well off to get investment in in terms of health services and education services. And uh, one of my last conversations with him uh, was around the need for music and creative education uh, in our school system. And, you know, he was by then quite uh, older and coming towards the end of his life. And I thought it was fantastic that he still had this kind of bubbling creativity about what would make Ireland better. And of course, he had a professional background as a psychiatrist. So I think he understood very much um, the, um, the pressures uh, that people are under. Um, obviously, then, people like Jim Kemi in the Labour Party, uh, who, uh, whom I used to sit beside in the Labour Parliamentary Party meetings as he corrected the proofs of um, the old Limerick Journal. And uh, he had left school at 14 to become a stonemason, 
but genuinely he was one of the most well-read and educated people I ever had the privilege of meeting. So in politics you meet a lot of people uh, who are impressive. I worked in Africa for three years. Um, I got to know uh, Julius Nyerere, uh, the first president of Tanzania. And um, he uh, was somebody who brought uh, Tanzania, shaped it to independence without a single shot being fired. Um, politically, I have always abhorred violence, you know, always regretted the, the kind of violence and strife there was in this island. Um, so you meet people in politics who have outstanding achievements. They haven't been able to do everything, but they've outstanding achievements. Uh, and, and, and that's an enormous privilege. I get the opportunity to visit community centres all around Ireland. And you go into a community centre and you are guaranteed to meet at least two impressive people. That could be somebody maybe cooking for older people, uh, but with the philosophy of life and a philosophy of caring and sharing that's so impressive. There's a huge amount of uh, women in leadership at the local level. Absolutely, yeah. And, and they're life-inspiring. And, you know, again, coming back to social protection, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a great privilege uh, to be able to do that. That's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for this week. Our guest next week is Danuta Gray, former head of O2, who is a much sought-after board member, and she's lots of advice for women and men who have ambition to lead. If you'd like to hear more, you can follow us on iTunes or on the website womeninleadership.ie. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast or advertise on the website, do contact us by the website womeninleadership.ie. See you next week.